1290 CJBK Airwaves in the studio with me, Marion Lloyd. Always a pleasure. Hi, Jim. And Robert Metz. Good morning, Jim. And I just occurred to me that I say that to lots of our guests, that it's always a pleasure. But you know something? It's true. It oh, is. It is always, nice to hear. it is always a pleasure. <laughs> it's a two-way thing, too. That's right. I'm going to uh, prevail upon your good natures today to ask you to help me in a little exercise that we actually started earlier today. Uh, those of you who heard the first part of the show will remember that I read a letter from Rob in London. I'm going to reread the letter. I'm going to leave out the insulting parts because they don't add much to the discussion. But I'm going to ask my guests for their commentary about the implications of this and about what Rob was looking for. Because as I said earlier today, I was uh, conflicted by the letter. There's some parts of it I, quite frankly, some parts of it I'm happy to dismiss, but other parts made me think. So this was Rob's letter to me. He said, Dear Mr. Chapman, I'm disgusted with you and your comments concerning our society's work situations. I heard you the other day and have heard you comment similarly in the past about how nowadays often people work for more hours in the same pay or more hours and less pay, and that's the way it is, so live with it. And then he goes on to call me some names. Um, you tell people to get off their butts, to go and vote, and not be complacent. You tell them not to be complacent about many other things, yet you want everyone to be complacent about accepting more stress, more work hours, more illnesses as a consequence, and probably a shorter life, and all for less or the same money. It's people like you who promote this idea that we should all just accept the way it is because that's just the way it is, and down the road we'll suffer for it because, well, that's just the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be any way you don't want it to be if you get off your butt and do something about it. Now, and then he says, and this is fair too, he says, just like you tell people about other issues, cut the crap and the pro-business money-grubbing garbage you've always subscribed to. And if you're so genuinely concerned about people now, show it. The point I raised this morning was that I read Rob's letter, and, and obviously I was, I was touched by it. He's very concerned about uh, this issue. But ultimately, I didn't know... I think exactly how I put it this morning. I didn't know how to respond to him. I didn't know what to say to him uh, when he challenged me to show it. I don't know how to do that relative to what he's telling me. Because the experience, my personal experience, the experience of many of the people I know, people in my families, my, certainly my co-workers here, we have all found ourselves in the last few years in situations where we have been asked, invited, or told by our employers to contribute more of ourselves to the jobs we have. Um, in many cases, uh, that has not been accompanied with the kinds of increases in income that 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been taken as the norm. Uh, you got more work, you got a promotion, you got more money. That doesn't always happen today, although sometimes it does. But we have all, it appears in this society, many, many people have to work harder than they used to. Bob's contention, I guess, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I'm not sure what way he thinks it can be. And I want to ask you, too, to maybe comment on the letter if you're comfortable doing that. Marianne, maybe I'd ask you to, to uh, well, start. Well, I, I think, first of all, I would agree with, with Bob. Um, I think it's very dangerous for us to accept that there's nothing we can do. I think that, that kind of the inertia that happens when we accept there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can change, is a serious problem for human beings. I happen to subscribe very much to an existentialist point of view, which is that we 
create ourselves with each decision we make mm -hmm. and that we are responsible uh, not only for ourselves but in fact for for the collective decision making in terms of of making the changes that we want to have happen i don't think that uh the the effect of the current economy on people uh, has had a good analysis in this letter, however, because part of what he leaves out is the fact that that may be true for a whole lot of people in the sort of middle strata of society. It's not true at the upper echelons of, of society where we see people making money hand over fist. Uh, I don't know whether anybody saw the uh, CBC uh, uh, TV uh, uh, talk about the, the three young men who made $700 million for a for a, uh, a, a very interesting uh, secure data system, for mm -hmm. example, uh, under 30 and, and having that kind of money, uh, when the, a large majority of people are feeling the way Rob is feeling. And as you say, we all know these people. Mm -hmm. uh, we've all seen them. We are these people. There's this growing gap between those who are, uh, frankly, profiting at the expense of the people who work for them in many cases. That's not true of the intellectual property in the case that I talked about. Mm -hmm. But it certainly is true when you see banks declaring the kind of, of profits that they're declaring when they are laying off thousands of people, closing service centers for mm -hmm. the people that they're supposed to serve, uh, and, and uh, maintaining uh, very low salaries for the uh, large bulk of the people who work there. There's this huge gap between those who are doing well and those who are not doing well and not able to progress. And I think that is a, a very serious problem for us. Now, I know what Bob's going to say. I mean, one of the ways we even this out, of course, is by, by our, the way we do our tax system, by the way we, we require uh, taxes to actually flow on, for example, the exchange of money, the so-called Tobin tax, mm -hmm. uh, that would, would certainly redistribute money quite quite substantially in our society. When we say we can't afford Medicare, it's just that we can't afford it because we're cutting taxes all over the place. So I think that's the kind of analysis that we have to have. But uh, I agree with you. It's disturbing to hear people feeling that they're helpless in the face of uh, of, uh, of something like this. And, and we can change it, but uh, we have to be proactive on our own behalf and that of our fellow citizens. I just want to make clarify one thing here, just uh, for people who may not, didn't hear the show earlier today. Um, Rob's concern here with me is that he says that I've always told people to become active in all these areas, and yet I've said, just shut up and go with the flow when it comes to the work situation. It's in fact, it's not what I've said. My position has been that that is the reality of society today, and there's no point denying the reality. I mean, it is the reality. If you don't like the reality, then by all means, attempt to change it. But the reality is that a great many people are asked to do more for less today. I mean, and that's what's happening in the world. I just and and, and let, me, let me be very clear that our government was part of asking people to do more for less. Mm -hmm. That's what Ray Days were about mm -hmm. in terms of trying to turn around a situation that was a very, very serious uh, situation facing all of us in Ontario. And there are times when employers say to people, we have two choices. We, we either have to close down or... We can, we can work together to try and find some way to spread the money in a different way so that we can keep going. And a lot of employees will agree to that. Mm -hmm. It's the issue of whether it's done to you or done with you. Mm -hmm. And that, that becomes a real issue. Robert, over to you. Uh, I would, Rob's letter strikes a very profound philosophical question. And, and uh, you know, 
I'm not an existentialist. I guess I'd be more of what you'd call an objectivist. I'm, I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand, who carried on the Aristotelian tradition. And it's very different, you know, uh, in, in the sense that she wrote this chapter in her book, Philosophy, Who Needs It? And it's called uh, Metaphysical Versus the Man-Made. And she says that so many people confuse what exists with things that men can do as though they were interchangeable, mm -hmm. like money and things like that. And she begins a chapter with that old uh, um, saying you've probably heard through Alcoholics Anonymous, God grant me the, uh, the, the uh, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to, to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's where I think a lot of the problem is, that so many people are trying to change the unchangeable and not working on the things that they can change. That is what I think Rob's fundamental frustration is. Um, right away, Marion, for example, with her existentialist point of view, begins to attack the rich and, and speaks in terms of uh, profiting at the expense of someone. I don't believe people profit at the expense of others. They profit at their benefit because otherwise they wouldn't be profiting. The only, and, the and only how instrument would the people is the, on whose backs you make the profit? You don't make it on anyone's backs. Anyone who's with you is there voluntarily, and they're earning their share of whatever it is. Everybody benefits. It's a beneficial situation. That's just the nature of anything that's a voluntary transaction. I would not exchange something voluntarily with someone, nor would they with me, unless both sides of the, of the exchange felt that they were gaining from that exchange. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. Theoretically, that's fine. But if no, you've got, it, if you've got a, a family fact. to feed... And, and there's a large problem well, with, with employment, then, then you, may, you may appear to voluntarily accept a wage, a minimum wage. You may voluntarily appear it to enter voluntary. into it. But it's, it's not, not because uh, you're... Well, the, see, they're, they're, where, she's doing exactly what I just where said. Is she's the confusing choice? the metaphysical versus the man-made. She's taking... What nature forces upon us. Nature the forces fact that survival we must upon us. Exactly, Bob. and you're complaining about that. You're upset because there are so many people in the world who are trying to survive. And when you get a lot of people in one particular area, like let's say you had a million secretaries where there's only a demand for 500,000, they're, they're going to undervalue themselves. And this is one of the big problems with our education system is that we train people for the wrong things because we're not market responsive. And, but, but you don't, it's not a fixed pie out there. If it were, we'd never have gotten away from the, from the original jungle and built skyscrapers or anything like that. They didn't exist in nature. They existed when man realized that, that you can change things and that there are things that you can change on an individual basis. So that We could also make change on a collective basis. And on a collective basis... As long as it's voluntary, yeah. But you, when you say collective, you mean you're going to get out the gun... No, start, start with government. By the way, government I is the not. only institution, government and thieves, are the only institutions in society that, quote, profit at the expense of others because they forcibly take money without consent. That's the only place I can even see that happening. And yet that is what you're always advocating. Um, you know, in, in, in a true, truly free market, it doesn't mean that you have to One like every, every choice that you have. I don't like the fact that I have to work for a living. Do you think I, I don't like the idea of maybe being able to be idyllically idle and, and ha having a wonderful lifestyle and not having to work hard? Like, I believe that you should work less for more. That's what I strive for. Well, now you, but now I can't you've really do that. Me. But I can't do that. I don't do that at the expense of others. I would never pass a law or join a union that, that excludes other people outside the union from, from, from being able to exercise their right to compete with me. 
I wouldn't do those things. I'd have to do it on my own and earn the support. If I don't earn the support, well, then either I've got to smarten up, do something different, or, you know, and that's what I can't complain about. I can't yeah, sit I there and... I agree with Bob. I think people like to work. I I'm like sure to work. Do. He Absolutely. says he, he, he would like not to be able to work. Oh, I think most people... No, that's not exactly what he said. Most people would like to get more for less. I, I, I think we'd all like to do that because in, in, an, in a work context, the less we put into the work, the more we have to put into the rest of our lives, which tends to be family, friends, and the things that are really important. So I'd be, I think other than some real super type A personalities, I think most people would like to get paid more for doing less. People who are really conversant with who they, who they are and what the world is really all about. I wasn't suggesting that. He said something about, like everybody else, he doesn't, he doesn't like to work for a living or he, doesn't, he, he wouldn't choose to work for a living. And I'm saying I don't think that's true. I know too many people who have retired, mm -hmm. some of whom have had windfalls of some sort mm -hmm. or another, don't have to work anymore, who find that not very enjoyable. But do they have a living, though? Are they actually living, or are they just people who suddenly have no more financial responsibilities and are left face-to-face -face well, with, face -face with the fact that they don't have a life? I think that's a good point, Jim. And, and if I were, good, if I were to, to sum one thing up, what is causing this extra stress on everyone? It's the belief that there's a fixed pie and that we have to redistribute all the wealth so that our taxes are basically at a 50% plus level, and everybody's working twice as hard to stay where they were before. And, and with those high taxes, you've also devalued, devalued the dollar itself, because if for every dollar you make you only get to spend 50 cents it's really only worth 50 cents but it's not true that you only get to spend 50 cents because the, the things that people spend money on in countries that don't have socialized medicine that don't pay for education are those things so it's not as though you would suddenly have this large amount of money you'd have to start paying it privately and the proof is in the pudding it costs more to run a private health care system than it does a socialized even if that were true mary it would be no reason system. it would be not a justification to force it on people who want to pay more and who want a, a different health care system that's the difference your philosophy of existentialism and equality and egalitarianism means that the people who could be outside the system and not competing with even the people that you want to help. You, you're forcing everybody into the same safety net. We're going to pause for just a moment. When we come back, Peg's going to join the discussion, and you're welcome to do so, too, at 643-1290. It's Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz on 1290 CJBK. Philosophical discussion of uh, whatever topics happen across our desk, and Peg has been listening and wants to join the conversation. Hi, Peg. Hello. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. That's good. I have a question for both of your guests. Uh, specifically Marion Boyd. I heard her mention this morning about Ray Days. Yeah. Um, I have family members who have been affected by the Ray Days. They were brought in, I, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly, in the early 1990s to freeze government employees' wages to help the government recoup some of their losses. Since that time, the Ray Days are still in effect. There has been no pay increase. There has been no cost of living to the people that this is affected by, meaning the union type of people. I know that the Thames Valley Board of Education has um, spent uh, lots of money uh, matching up furniture. You know, I'm sure that the people at the Education Center have given themselves raises and stuff. When is this going to stop? Well, there are a couple of things. There have been uh, um, contracts negotiated uh, since the uh, the uh, uh, social contract ended in 1996, 
and it is true in those negotiations in, in some workplaces. Uh, people have uh, foregone wage increases to accomplish something else. That, that certainly has happened in some teacher contracts. Not by choice. They, uh, I don't think they, well, they, they, they went foregone them by choice. I don't think they, they had... They agreed to the, to the, the proposal. What about the other people? And, you know, I know that the teachers are, are big in the media right now. What about the people who, who are the, in the underlying? Well, my understanding is, and I, I may be wrong about this, but my understanding was that uh, CUPE, which I think represents the uh, caretakers and uh, some of the other workers in the London board, for example, had negotiated a contract since. Uh, if that contract, and I, I don't believe it included, uh, certainly not, not great wage uh, increases, but it did include uh, some provisions uh, for job security. And very often when unions negotiate contracts, they negotiate for job security and for severance arrangements where they, they know that jobs aren't secure as opposed to uh, negotiating for wage increases across the board. So, so you're right. I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that there are people who continue to feel the effect of, of, of the social contract, who may not have had an increase since 1993. Where, where the real problem, I think, comes in, uh, there are two areas. One is where uh, a contract has not yet been negotiated since that time, where people are either working without a contract, where there's a, been a labor dispute, uh, that sort of thing, and where in the provisions that were originally set in place, people are always behind the eight ball. And that certainly happened with uh, a group of teachers that I know of uh, in the Catholic board. Uh, the, the, the teachers who were coming in at the first rung in 1993 were the most disadvantaged. They will be disadvantaged basically for their whole career because in their first three years, they did not move up the grid. And so they are going to be behind the eight ball forever. That was the way that one was negotiated with the Catholic board. Why well, I'm... Why is this a negotiable factor? I mean, it was brought in and said, this is what you have to do. Why can't they just pull it off and say, okay, ray days are gone? Well, well in, in actual fact, that's not true. The way we brought it in, uh, we wanted it to be negotiated because we knew that if you did it flat across the board, it would affect services in an unfair way. So we wanted the health sector, the education sector, the university and college sector to do those negotiations based on the reality of their own situation. And, and so there are differences between the way healthcare workers were treated uh, and, and, and differences between different kinds of healthcare workers and similarly in, in education and, and in other public services. It appears, it just uh, on this note, and then I will hang up, that um, it was brought in on a short-term basis yes. to make things get fixed, but just like a lot of other things that the government brings in on a short-term basis, i.e. income tax, i.e. the GST, once it's there, you can't get rid of it. They, they, they have, they're saving that money, they're getting that extra income, and they're not going to give it back to us. And I think that's totally unfair. The middle person is being kicked to death. Well, one of the there's, issues... There's no more room to take anything away yes have you ever considered that if a union really wanted to offer you job security that what they'd have to offer you is lower wages that's the best job security there is because if you're willing to do a job as good as or better than someone else for lower wages than they are your job's going to be a lot more secure than theirs absolutely but did you not just state that you like to work for less money work less and get more money absolutely that's why i wouldn't join an organization that offers me job security 
I see. But I don't think there is a whole lot of job security in the lower levels of no, the there, there Board is. of Education anymore. They're, they dangle it like a string. Yes, it, and there's you no know, such thing, really. You do this really. or you're going to be gone. When they amalgamated the five boards, people were shaking in their boots. Am I going to have a job tomorrow? Am I, you know, you know, Peg, what's going to happen? It's not just the school board. That runs right across the business I world I understand today. that it affects me personal in mm -hmm. it's the it's this part of it that affects me yeah yeah but you're not alone is what i'm trying to say well, I, yeah. and in fact in fact if you look at the at the industrial history of north america for most of that period of time most people were quaking in their boots it's 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 you know it was it is kind of the natural side effect of the of the free market the kind of thing that bob talks about yes and and to me um and correct me if i'm wrong it seems to be the middle class people that are the ones that are shaking in their boots. Well, the flip side of it is that 95% of them are employed. Well, you know, Peg, I'd, I'd like to say to you, you know, that some of these high-flying entrepreneurs crash pretty heavily as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, we've heard uh, a lot of stories in the last few weeks of different people who appeared to be uh, very well-to-do and suddenly end up bankrupt and with nothing, mm -hmm. and uh, not even with the capacity to meet their... Uh, uh, they're already uh, assumed uh, responsibilities. So um, I, I, I think that the uncertainty, I mean, there is no way to achieve certainty no. in a world that is changing as rapidly as ours is. Peg, I'm glad you called today. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, w before we go any farther, too, we need to make the, the point that we have been talking here relative to incomes and relative to earning and relative to the things we want out of life, and I want to inject just a small spiritual note here, and you just hit the nail on the head, Miriam. You talked about some of these incredibly wealthy people are ending, up, ending up on their on their heels, too, and I suspect not just financially, but probably uh, emotionally and spiritually as well. Absolutely. Having money and being successful in that sense is no guarantee of anything. It's not how much money you've got, it's how you use it, and how you use it to fulfill your own goals that makes the real difference. We're going to uh, pause for the news. 11 o'clock news is coming your way on 1290 CJBK. Bob and Marion will be staying with us uh, through the news, and we'll continue our discussion on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Don't forget, at 11.30 today, Chris Cahill from Financial Strategies Group comes in. Speaking of money to talk about how to uh, hang on to as much of yours as you possibly can. And at 12.30 today, Dr. Fred Sexton joins us on House Calls. So keep that dial right where it is on 1290 CJBK. Get in on CJBK, talk of the town with my guests, Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. And be before the uh, news and the break, we were talking about this letter I received from listener Rob. And I'm not going to read it again, but basically he was concerned about the work situation in our society today and accused me of making it worse by... Uh, by urging people to be complacent about it because I have said on more than one occasion well that's that's the reality uh, you know get used to it um, I don't think it's about complacency I think it's about recognizing reality and if you want to change the reality by all means go and do it but you can't reality doesn't go away just because you don't like what it is and uh, I think maybe that's the heart of the any disagreement that Rob and I might have but I want to uh, if I can folks um, take this maybe to the next step and, and again, in trying to answer Rob's question here about, you know... What can we do? What can we do? What can we do when we are faced with a world where, as Marion says, and it's, it's indisputable, where there's a small group of people who are making more money than ever before. Uh, it's also indisputable that in the historical scheme of things, even the poorest people in Canada are much better off than the majority of poor people in the history of the world. I mean, much better off. The middle class is getting hammered with taxes and user fees, et cetera, et cetera. But as Marion, I think, points out quite rightly, 
our heavy tax level does indeed deliver a lot of services to us. Whether it's their efficient services is another issue, and that uh, I'm sure Bob would have lots to say about that. But the fact is that we are pretty much cosseted from cradle to grave in our society compared to most other societies historically. So if we are in a situation now where we are being required to do more for less or do more for the same amount, how do we make that a sustainable situation, or is there a way to change that without jeopardizing what we already have? It always comes down to the to the same two things. I know Marion. I, I agree with Marion when she says it's dangerous to accept the idea that there's nothing we can do. But right there is where the divergence begins. There's two ways to do things, and I think what a lot of people, and perhaps Rob is sort of hinting at, is that he wants to see some kind of political activity. Because in politics, you can deny reality a little bit. You don't have to recognize reality. You can um, impose force into the situation and try to force things, either you know, forcing people to comply and do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Or the op other option is to try and use persuasion rather than force in order to get people over onto your side. And that's always what the issue is. And I know, Marion, you're always telling me, well, that's my... Uh, or as Gil said last week, it's my religion, it's my faith. Uh, but the same thing, the same thing holds true of the other side. Although I don't think either are actually based on faith. I think they're based on two different philosophies. Well, you know, I, I well, I think there may be a faith position here. Uh, something about sharing loaves and fishes instead of keeping them all to yourself. Uh, quite frankly, I think. Uh, uh, what has that got to do with faith? That sounds like uh, sharing. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it happens to be it happens to be one of the uh, more important parables and 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 uh, things that we we see in the New Testament. The notion that if 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 those people who were crowded around Jesus at that point had kept their the the five loaves and fish and, and the 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 five fish and the two loaves to themselves, then everybody else would have gone hungry except them. Well, but do, by, do sharing, not say sharing by sharing, by sharing among us. Well, you see, I think it is voluntary in a democratic society where where people where are elected to represent people and to make decisions to ensure that that sharing actually happens. Bob Howard, I've, I've never entirely understood your blanket opposition. I'm, I'm opening a can of worms here. I'm going to get in the... No, go ahead. I, go, no, go I don't want to go that. there. That's, that's right. No, no, but the blanket opposition to, to, to force is used by the representative of the majority. Because it seems to me that there are situations where uh, that force is mandatory. If, if, if you mm -hmm. have no way to enforce society's proscriptions against certain, certain behaviors, for example. For, for, force is justifiable under one circumstance, and it's the reason we have government, and that is self-defense. There is no, no reason I can think of to initiate force against someone. Not even the most altruistic reason in the world. Well, what because if that individual was, was uh, just as an example... Uh, and I'm going to go to the one that, that yeah, I'm going. Well, I'm, I can give you an example I use. Well, I'm inflaming. I'm on, no, I want to inflame the situation. Well, I, I was going to do the same thing. You're in, a, <laughs> you're in a society wherein some adult is preying sexually on a child and has convinced the child that that's okay to, have, to, to be doing that. And that the child, the child in its own, in his or her own innocence, doesn't know any better. So you could make the case, well, that, you know, the child's not being harmed. The child's not being uh, assaulted. The child's not being physically hurt. Yet our society looks at that and says, we know better than that. We know that there are long-term implications for that kind of a relationship. Yeah, and it's a child, too. Children are not part of the equation here. So is it okay well, to use force to save children? What about the... Uh, absolutely. It's a self-defensive activity that society has. And we're using it for a very specific thing. But I was going to even use a, a stronger example. Mm -hmm. Suppose a guy 
has a very altruistic need. His, his, his mother needs a serious operation or something, and he has no money to get it, so he robs a bank. Mm -hmm. And he gets caught. And then, the, and then the judge says, Mr. Smith, why did you rob this bank? He says, Your Honor, I needed this money for my mother's operation. Now, do you think the guy would be let free? Do you think he would be uh, allowed to, to not suffer any consequences? You know, I, th I think he has been let free. I think that one of the reasons we have developed the kind of social system that we have in this country is precisely because of that scenario. Because we did not want to see people like him having to rob banks to get mom's operation. I would say the opposite. I said what we've done is just hired the government to be the bank robber and get into every one of our bank accounts. And that the long-term effect of that is worse than anything we can imagine. We have to look at countries that use this system. I mean, when you're on a... You cannot do good by bad means. That's just a, an axiom. But why me. is that, why and, is that necessarily it, a bad means? I mean, if you look at... Because you're using force against someone. You're robbing someone of something that they earned. If we, if we allow that wholesale, let's, let's say we just let everybody go rob banks. Can well, you no, not see the bad effect of that? But that's not the flip that's side of it. That's not the flip side of it. If, if we go back it's to that example of, of that individual who had to rob the bank to save his mother's life, let's take well, it to its full extreme. in the United States all the time. Had to rob the bank to save his mother's life. Uh, we have devised a system that does not require him to do that. It's not a perfect system, but is the alternative to say, well, listen, you have, you have all the freedom in the world to get an education, to get a job, to earn enough money before your mother gets sick to take care of her, or <laughs> rob the bank. I don't see it as, those, as that being the choice. Well, I what's the third choice? What's the, what's the choice that affords him all the, the choice that, that you think he should have and yet affords protection for his... For his well, uh, the, other, the other choice is to get the money voluntarily somehow, and I always advocate charity first or some kind of activity that one can start up to raise money for specific purposes. I mean, people do like to give. We already discussed that. And but only to a point, to a as our charities today are discovering, well, if, much if, to their dismay. Well, and, and, the aging of our population. Mm -hmm. And is that, therefore justify governments robbing us of even more money? Like, so, when is enough? Right now we're at 52, 53 Yeah, but would you rather tax. see people on the street begging for money for mom's operation? I'm I mean, that, that's free you, choice. We are going to have people on the street begging for mom's operation if we think like that. That's my no. point. That's my very point. Nonsense. That's what we, we have to think beyond Nonsense. the immediate, you know, gratification of getting this benefit now, no matter how great we think our personal Nonsense. need is. I don't care how sick I get in life. I don't have a right to, to, to attach myself to you and to your finances and to your responsibility. Yeah, but what if I say that I don't mind you doing that? Because well, I don't mind you doing that. it would be a voluntary that. thing, and it would well, be great if we had voluntary taxes and voluntary... But in that sense, isn't it voluntary? No. It, oh, if, you, if you agreed to it, sure yeah. it would be. Don't you think most Canadians... agree for it Don't you think most Canadians agree? No, a majority... That's, that would require a whole other show on what we mean by representative government and what constitutes a legitimate okay, but, government okay. consent. We don't want to go there. We want to go back to the phones where Gord's waiting. Hi, Gord. How you doing, sir? Good, thanks. Uh, yes, there are a couple of points I'd like to make. Um, I think society on both the right and left have shown that the grassroots level they can make a change. On the right, for Bob Metz's uh, situation, you have the tax revolt. Mm -hmm. On the left, you, you have like you know something like the battle in Seattle, mm -hmm. and you have like the author Linda McQuaig, you know, shoot the hippo and yeah. cult, the cult of the impotence, or whatever. Yes, well, that's saying that we do have a power over the you know the institutions in the world, and the governments are saying, oh, we can't do anything about it, but we're she's saying, yeah, we can. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect, too, is not everybody is as strong, you know, financially, emotionally, or whatever. So they do feel kind of uh, powerless to change their situation. It's hard to get up in the morning if you're depressed and out of work. It's hard to get up with an attitude you're going to conquer the world, isn't it? 
Oh yeah, it's you know like we each have our different levels. Like yep. if everybody was a a terrific talk show host, you wouldn't stand out. Mm-hmm. And you know that's why I think collective action is so important, Gord. Because um, you're right. Everybody doesn't have the, either the the talent, the skills, or the or the chutzpah, if you like, to uh, be able to fight out there tooth and nail for their own security and the security of their family. Uh, that's the reason that we take collective action uh, in terms of uh, first of all government action to provide some of those services so everybody can have them but then also certainly in the workplace where where collective action to to make sure that the rights of all workers are are looked after whether they have those skills or not and that's that's part of the purpose of having unions or associations or staff groups I, I would agree that collective action is necessary but the two things that you picked would not be in my equation government and unions because they both employ a, a, a force in the marketplace that's not a marketplace force it's literally force I mean and eventually if you resist it you will get hit over the head or locked up in jail if you don't pay your taxes, if you don't, even if you, you know. Well, the unions to me are, are, is an example of, you know, I, sometimes I'm not, uh, I don't like what they do sometimes, but they're, they're necessary. Yes, but absolutely. The, the, but the, they're an example of people saying, we're not going to accept the status quo. We're going to change it collectively and get mm-hmm. together. Exactly. You know, and, and also that's the same with on the right with the tax revolt. Now, the thing is, the, the idea of, of two about respecting each other and understanding where the other person is coming from. From the right, I can understand the middle class saying we're being taxed to death, and I think maybe the left has to take a look at that and make sure with that. Uh, you know, I, I consider myself part of the left. But the left but we can't do, do that. We don't uh, uh, anger them, or that we understand the burden, mm-hmm. and also the right should understand what it's like to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the burden is, is is technically infinite if you want it to be. The, the issue is that that the left in, in, in looking at need as the criteria to take money from us can find need anywhere it wants and the need is endless I mean if we were all the pure altruists we really wanted to be we should send every penny that we have over to Africa and over to all the nations around the world but that would be sending good money after bad because the situation and it there wouldn't be responsible government because the government is is responsible whatever level it is at for the constituents who elect that particular government first then they look at the way in which they can impact some change in the world and that's what we see with with some of the foreign aid well, that we it's have. got to do with self-interest too like with uh in good news bob's example here it's good for the society to be a healthy educated yes. society and, and and so that helps you know myself to be belong like jim says in the society that we got better off than 95 percent of the world you know mm-hmm. you know it's a Canada's a great democracy, and but, it's because of... Gord, think of what 95% of the world is doing. They're redistributing the wealth. They're, they have programs in place that, that, they're, that just basically are all wealth redistribution. Uh, the countries in, in the world... Everywhere. And they just get distribu- distributed to the political favorites. Um, you know, the issue is you find that wherever poverty and impoverishment exists is where private property rights are least respected, where contract rights are least respected. So we have to learn something from these, from these issues. We know that, for example, if I have a contract with you, that's one of the things we need government for, is to well, enforce that contract so that you can make long-term plans with your money and your time and your effort and be relatively assured that if something goes wrong, you're going to have some kind of compensation or some kind of justice involved. It's not always perfect. But that's what we have government there to try to mitigate. Mm-hmm. Gord, I appreciate your call. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh, Frank's up next. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. The, the, the government 
government caused this problem in the first place. When you go back to Brian Mulroney and his government, the agenda at the time was to turn the nation into a full-time, part-time workforce, whereas they would, the companies would pay a wage but no benefits. And as a result... Wait, whose agenda was that? That was the uh, conservative agenda of the day. Well, that wasn't as it was expressed to the voters. No, but yeah, that's, that's the first that's, I've heard of it. No, but that's in reality what, what, what happened when they, were, when they were creating employment. Why, who's served by that? The, the numbers look at unemployment, but the companies loved it and paid the, 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 the workers a wage, and no benefits, and as a result, they didn't have to pay severance, etc. Well, there's, there's still many, many workers out there who get uh, wages with full benefit packages and full severance packages. No, but, the trend but there is, has but been a real growth in, in, in part-time work. This caller is correct. Mm -hmm. yes, there has been a real, uh, a real trend in that and a real trend in, in uh, uh, using every possibility to, to deny benefits to people. Uh, you know, I, I was That's interested. I was interested is. earlier. You know, we we talk about not being able to do anything, and 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 the rich uh, uh, being able to get away with things. And, and Bob made the comment that the rich don't make money off the backs of the poor. But this gentleman's question reminded me of uh, Frank Stronach, who remember is 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 now one of the wealthiest people mm -hmm. in in Canada. Has some of the strongest uh, industries. But in in the in the in the the late 1980s and early 1990s, he went out of business and did not provide even the severance pay or the pensions that had been guaranteed to the employees that he then had. And he was able to write that completely off. And, uh, and when he came back into business, there was no mechanism there to make him pay his obligations. Hmm. He was able to write off an obligation that he didn't have to pay? You that's mean, right. So he didn't pay out something, and he wrote it off. I'd like I, to know how that's done, just on an accounting basis. This is part basis. of what this gentleman is talking about. <laughs> it was when the Mulroney government was in place. Our government put in place a a a, a small benefit for people who had been left without their mm -hmm. pension uh, as a result of those kinds of things. And we had a lot of companies leaving, mm -hmm. and and just simply closing down and doing their employees out of the benefits they had earned, that they had they had foregone wages in order to build those, those there's benefits a reason for that. in the early 1990s. It's because those benefits had already priced themselves out of the marketplace. And it's, you know, Frank said himself, he says that the conservatives said this one thing, but the reality was that this is what happened. And that's true. That is reality talking. That is billions of people out there saying, we want it this way. And yeah, but, they, but, see, what, but what happened was, when, when the companies had a choice, either to pay benefits or not benefits, they, they're obviously they're going to take the not benefits so they, they can, the bottom line looks better. Well, sure they are, and so would you. Sure. That's not true of some companies. I would argue that's not true of some companies. And, in fact, there are examples of companies that could have got away without paying benefits who have extended benefits to their part-time employees on a prorated basis because they find that they're more productive employees but that doesn't, way. But doesn't that come down to what Bob said initially, that people are doing this for their own self-interest? The company that's going to mm -hmm. do that does it because they realize, recognize, that they're going to end up with better employees when all is said and done. And then all they also if a worker didn't do the work properly or the company didn't like him, they could get rid of him and there was 10 people standing behind him waiting to get that job. Mm -hmm. When right. unemployment was high, that was true. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality, and those 10 people have rights too. That's as much coercion, though, Bob, as taxation. That's and, not and, coercion and at all. And it is coercion because people do have to work in order to feed their families. And when you have high unemployment rates and people have no mechanism by which to meet those survival needs, 
they 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 feel certainly that so they have no the choice. why doesn't the government why doesn't the government give them a job then? We could we could set up a program. We could call it oh I don't know workfare and pay them to work. The government what we could do is do things like Jobs Ontario, where we train people to work for the jobs that <laughs> the that, the, uh, that the world actually <laughs> needs these days, not workfare where people volunteer at oh, at uh, at at subsistence uh, rates uh, and do not gain skills. Yeah, and and it's also the reality table. that the lower the wage, the harder you work. They had they had the food on the table. That's true. Oh, I don't know Basically, about that. that the guy in the factory floor works ten times harder than the bank than the president of the Bank of Montreal. Well, talk, talk different to kind a, of work. Talk to the cardiologist of the oh. bank president. He might disagree with you. Frank, thanks for your okay. call today. Bye. Appreciate it, sir. Oh, it's been one of those shows today, isn't mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not quite over yet. We got a couple minutes left. I guess I, mean, I, I don't want to ask. Yes, I do. I am going to ask each of you perhaps to thumb up some to thumb up your thoughts. <laughs> thumb up, thumb up your thoughts for me on this. Uh, to sum up your thoughts on this, and Barry and I started with you, so maybe I'll ask Bob mm -hmm. to do to have the second last word. Well, I I don't think the companies are out to deny benefits to their employees. I think they're out to stay in business and to compete with other companies that that are as productive as them with with fewer resources. It's not the job of a company basically to provide employment like Gil and I argued last week. I mean, it's the job of a company to be productive. And in, in the private market, in the volunteer market, capital may be used to create more production with fewer people. And that's going to bother a lot of people. And the thing is, that how we have to learn to think is for all of us to become capitalists, for all of us to use capital to our advantage, to create our, for example, our safety social nets should be uh, built on capital so that the money we use to run our education system and our health care system should be the interest earned from the capital and the capital should always be there. Unfortunately, we run a socialist system which is deficit financing all the way. And I can't see how anybody could say that's good for anyone in the long run, regardless of the short-term benefits we might give ourselves here and there. There are lots of examples of, of companies that have tried to deny their, uh, their employees' benefits. Um, one of the best examples was the, the very, very lengthy uh, action that happened again, I think it was 1992, uh, around the issue of succession rights, uh, where companies would buy out other companies in the hope that they could then say that they didn't, uh, they didn't have to obey the law in terms of succession rights. That's exactly what the Conservatives did mm -hmm. when they came into government. They, they passed a law to say that public servants in Ontario no longer had succession rights. So then they farmed out services to private companies who didn't have to uh, uh, obey the... But as you the, pointed the, out the, yourself, they were the duly elected government. Oh, that's true. Uh, but, but I'm saying, Bob says it isn't a methodology, and it is. He, he said he denied that companies try to get away from paying benefits. And no, I'm saying I didn't there deny are it. zillions of I said of that examples. wasn't the motivation. I said the motivation was to stay in business. And, and no, if the you motivation want to stay in is business, to make more money, right. not to stay in business. Right. And if I'm, in, if, I'm, if I'm an employer and I'm hiring you, I want to pay you the least amount I can possibly pay you. That is my objective. Your objective as an employee is to get the most that you can get. The government's job in this equation is to make sure neither of us can use force on the other. So I can't force you to work for me and you can't force me to pay what you want. That's the government's job. Unfortunately, it usually picks sides, sometimes the employer, sometimes the employee. And that is wrong in every case. I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with the first part of it. When you say take sides, in, in fact, the, the job of the adjudicator in this kind of a contract relationship that you're talking about is to make sure that no, neither side oversteps the, the bounds that, that, that they have agreed to in the contract. 
and yet we, we it's certainly a voluntary find... contract, I agree. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we have to leave it. Folks, thanks to both of you for making this a very informative and interesting hour. Thank you, Jim. Look forward Good to, to see you. Look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. And we'll look forward to you staying with us. Uh, Chris Cahill from Financial Strategies Group will be in uh, the hot seat here in just a couple of minutes on Ask the Experts. Don't forget Dr. Fred Sexton in at 1230 today on House Calls. All just ahead on 1290 CJBK.